Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 278. Today's big Bible question, why were Adonijah and Joab killed by King Solomon, and how can we be spared? So happy Wednesday, dear friends. Tonight, we are going to debate who should be the next king of Israel after David. Solomon or his brother Adonijah? Winner gets to be king, loser gets to die. No interruptions, guys. (laughs) Okay, I'm just kidding. Maybe we've all had enough debates for one 24-hour period after last night. So our Bible passages for today are 2 Kings chapter 2, Psalms 81 and 82, Ezekiel 33, and Galatians chapter 6. And our focus passage will be our 2 Kings 2 passage in which we will see Solomon order the execution of not one, not two, but three different people, one of whom was his half-brother. Now, in yesterday's reading, we found out that one of King David's sons, Adonijah, had pulled an Absalom and declared himself king in the place of his father, assuming perhaps that he would inherit the throne being older than Solomon. King David had other ideas, however, and crowned Solomon king instead, and most of the people followed Solomon, which put Adonijah in an extremely dangerous position. So seeking mercy, he fled to the tabernacle and took hold of the horns of the altar And this action saved him. Well, at least Solomon spared his life because he showed signs of repentance and let him go free. Now, I know your question there. Altars have horns? Yes, as it happens when God told Moses how to build the altar in Exodus 27, he specified that it would have horns. God said you were to construct the altar of acacia wood. The altar must be square, seven and a half feet long and seven and a half feet wide. It must be four and a half feet high. Make horns for it on its four corners. The horns are to be of one piece. Overlay it with bronze. And we also see in Exodus 29, 12, take some of the bull's blood and apply it to the horns of the altar with your finger, then pour out all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So the horns were for the application of blood and they protruded from the top of the altar and were considered a place for mercy. Adonijah survived because he was repentant and took hold of the horns of the altar. But in today's chapter, we're going to see that Solomon's mercy is only temporary and Adonijah ends up being executed. So let's read the passage and find out why. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man, and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn, and so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel." You also know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He murdered them in a time of peace to avenge blood shed in war. He spilled that blood on his own waistband and on the sandals of his feet. Act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray heads descend to Sheol in peace. Show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table because they supported me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Keep an eye on Shammai, son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bacharim, who is with you. He uttered malicious curses against me the day I went to Manahim. 
But he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, and I swore to him by the Lord, I will never kill you with the sword. So don't let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. You know how to deal with him to bring his gray head down to Sheol with blood. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The length of time David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingship was firmly established. Now Adonijah, son of Hegith, came to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. She asked, Do you come peacefully? Peacefully, he replied. And then he asked, May I talk with you? Go ahead, she answered. You know the kingship was mine, he said. All Israel expected me to be king, but then the kingship was turned over to my brother, for the Lord gave it to him. So now I have just one request of you. Don't turn me down. She said to him, go on. He replied, please speak to King Solomon since he won't turn you down. Let him give me Abishag the Shunammite as a wife. Very well, Bathsheba replied. I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak with him about Adonijah. The king stood up to greet her, bowed to her, sat down on his throne and had a throne place for the king's mother. So she sat down at his right hand. Then she said, I have just one small request of you. Don't turn me down. Go ahead and ask, mother, the king replied, for I won't turn you down. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to your brother Adonijah as a wife. King Solomon answered his mother, Why are you requesting Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Since he is my elder brother, you might as well ask the kingship for him, for the priest Abiathar and for Joab son of Zariah. Then King Solomon took an oath by the Lord. May God punish me and do so severely if Adonijah has not made this request at the cost of his life. And now, as the Lord lives, the one who established me, seated me on the throne of my father David, and made me a dynasty as he promised, I swear Adonijah will be put to death today. Then King Solomon dispatched Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, who struck down Adonijah, and he died. The king said to the priest Abiathar, Go to your fields in Anathoth. Even though you deserve to die, I will not put you to death today, since you carried the ark of the Lord in the presence of my father David, and you suffered through all that my father suffered. So Solomon banished Abiathar from being the Lord's priest, and it fulfilled the Lord's prophecy he had spoken at Shiloh against Eli's family. The news reached Joab. Since he had supported Adonijah but not Absalom, Joab fled to the Lord's tabernacle and took hold of the horns of the altar. It was reported to King Solomon, Joab has fled to the Lord's tabernacle and is now beside the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and told him, Go and strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle and said to Joab, This is what the king says, come out. But Joab said, No, for I will die here. So Benaiah took a message back to the king. This is what the Joab said, and this is how he answered me. The king said to him, Do just as he says. Strike him down and bury him in order to remove from me and from my father's family the blood that Joab shed without just cause. The Lord will bring back his own blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he without my father David's knowledge. With his sword, Joab murdered Abner son of Ner, commander of Israel's army, and Amasa son of Jether, commander of Judah's army. The responsibility for their deaths will come back to Joab and to his descendants forever, but for David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne There will be peace from the Lord forever. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, went up, struck down Joab, and put him to death. He was buried at his house in the wilderness. Then the king appointed Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, 
and Joab's place over the army, and he appointed the priest Zadok in Abiathar's place. Then the king summoned Shammai and said to him, Build a house for yourself in Jerusalem and live there, but don't leave there and go anywhere else. On the day you do leave and cross the Kidron Valley, know for sure that you will certainly die. Your blood will be on your own head. Shammai said to the king, The sentence is fair. Your servant will do as my lord the king has spoken. And Shammai lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But then at the end of three years, two of Shammai's slaves ran away to Achish, son of Makkah, king of Gath. Shammai was informed, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shammai saddled his donkey and set out to Achish at Gath to search for his slaves. He went and brought them back from Gath. It was reported to Solomon that Shammai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned. So the king summoned Shammai and said to him, Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, On the day you leave and go anywhere else, know for sure that you will certainly die. And you said to me, The sentence is fair, I will obey. So why have you not kept the Lord's oath and the command that I gave you? The king also said, You yourself know all the evil that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord has brought back your evil on your head. But King Solomon will be blessed and David's throne will remain established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah son of Jehoiada and he went out and struck Shammai down and he died. So the kingdom was established in Solomon's hand. So a bit of a mystery for us. Why does Solomon take so much umbrage at Adonijah's request? Well, scholars have a few opinions here. For one, it would have been highly improper for a son to have one of his father's concubines, even though Abishag was not intimate with David and thus probably wasn't exactly a concubine. Well, for now, we will conveniently dodge the question about the morality of concubines, which I know is super sketch. Probably the bigger reason why Solomon ordered the death of Adonijah is because this was a political move that represented more scheming on Adonijah's part. Absalom the usurper had already stolen his father David's concubines years earlier in a previous attempt to steal the kingdom, and Solomon no doubt saw a similar thing unfolding again, so Adonijah likely wasn't executed because he simply wanted to marry an attractive woman, but because he was likely still scheming to usurp Solomon and become king. Now, of more interest to our discussion today is the mystery of why Solomon initially spared Adonijah when he took hold of the horns of the altar, but did not spare Joab when he did the same thing. Why would you show mercy to Adonijah and no mercy to Joab? The most practical answer is that we don't exactly know. A big clue is found in verse 32, where Solomon gives the reason for Joab's execution, his murder of Abner and Amasa years earlier. Now, Charles Spurgeon takes this episode in the life of Solomon and discusses it in a deep spiritual sense in an amazing sermon he delivered in March of 1884. I'd like to summarize it for us because Spurgeon uses these mercies and executions to bring out some great spiritual truths for us. And Spurgeon says, Joab found no benefit of sanctuary, even though he laid hold of the horns of the altar of God's house, from which I gather this lesson, that outward ordinances will avail nothing. Before the living God, who is greater and wiser than Solomon, it will be of no help to any man to lay hold upon the horns of the altar. But secondly, there is an altar, a spiritual altar, where if a man does lay hold of the horns and says, I will die here, he will never die, but he will be safe against the sword of justice forever. For the Lord has appointed an altar in the person of his own dear son, Jesus Christ, where there shall be shelter 
for the very vilest of sinners if they do but come and lay hold of him. There is no salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. If you died with the sacramental bread of the Lord's Supper in your mouth, you will be lost unless your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Your hands, which are superstitiously laid upon the altar's horns, might as well be placed upon weapons of rebellion. Outward emblems and outward righteousness can do you no good whatsoever if you remain unspiritual. Without faith in Christ, even the ordinances of God become things to condemn you. If you eat and drink the Lord's Supper unworthily, you eat and drink condemnation to yourselves, not discerning the Lord's body. And that if this is true, how dare any unconverted, unbelieving man put his trust in some sort of outward ordinance of which he has no right to partake. There are others who put their trust in religious observances of different kinds. Their visible altar horn is something which they believe to be very improper and right, and which indeed may be so if wisely used, for the thing is good if used lawfully, but it will be their ruin if it be put out of its own place. For instance, there are doubtless some who think that they are all right because they frequently listen to sermons, They delight to be found hearing the gospel. Now, in this you do well, for faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if you suppose that the mere listening to a sermon with the outward ear can save you, you suppose what is untrue, says Spurgeon, and you build the house of your hope on sand. Oh, sir, you might say, I have sat to hear the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ these many years. Yes, in these many years you have rejected it. Oh, but, says another, I go to prayer meetings. Spurgeon says, I admit that it's not every hypocrite that will regularly come to prayer meetings, but there are some that do. And though you are so fond of prayer meetings, yet, my dear friend, unless it can be said of you, behold, he prays, you need not make sure of safety. Your being found in the place where prayer is wont to be made may be no sign of grace. I, you might say, but I do more than that for it. But I pray at my house too. Yes, and that's a good thing too. I wish every person did the same. I'm grieved that any Christian should neglect the ordinance of family prayer. But if you think that the reading of a form of prayer in your household, or even the use of extemporaneous prayer is a thing to be relied upon for salvation, you greatly err. He that believeth in him hath everlasting life. But he that believes not in the Lord Jesus Christ does but offer unbelieving prayer to God. You might say, I regularly read a chapter of the Bible. And Spurgeon says, I'm extremely glad you do. And God bless that chapter to you. I wish that all were in the habit of reading right through the Bible regularly and seeking to understand it. But if you trust in your Bible readings as the ground of salvation, you are resting upon a mere soap bubble which will burst under your weight. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, producing in the soul a change of heart, a new birth unto God, this is what is wanted. And apart from that, all the Bible reading you could ever practice can do you no good whatsoever. You must be born again. You must be born again. And if they're not born again this in this inward change, then vain is all outward observance. You may wash a corpse. You may clothe that corpse in the purest white shroud that was ever woven, but when all is done, it does not live. And what are all the outward devotions of a fleshly man but dead things which bring no life with them to men dead in sin? Some are foolish enough to put their confidence in ministers. It would seem to be the maddest thing in all the world for anybody to have confidence in me, says Spurgeon, as to helping him in his salvation. And I trust that nobody is such a fool. I can't even save myself. What can I do for others?
Ah, well, says another, I am free of that. I'm a professor of religion, and I've been a member of a church now for at least 20 years. You may be a member of a church 50 years, says Spurgeon, but you will be damned at last unless you are a member of Christ. It doesn't matter if you are a church officer, a deacon, an elder, a pastor, a bishop, or even Archbishop of Canterbury, or an apostle. You will perish as surely as Judas, who betrayed his master with a kiss, unless your heart is right with God. No, says somebody, but I do not trust in mere profession. I have great reliance upon orthodoxy. I have good theology and good doctrine. That's right, friend. I wish all men would value the truth. But if you say, my confidence is in my sound doctrine, that's not my confidence, says Spurgeon, and I hope that it will not be yours long, for many lost souls have firmly believed orthodox doctrine. I will not enlarge upon this topic any more. Whatever you depend upon, apart from the blood and righteousness of Christ, do away with it. Do away with it. If you are even depending upon your own repentance, your own faith, away with them. If you are looking to your own prayers or offerings to the poor, I can only cry again, away with them, away with them. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But if you come and lay your hand upon that, blessed and saved shall you be. Amen. What a sermon. I love Spurgeon, and there's some great reasons for that. Well, let's continue in our reading with Psalm chapter 81, verse 1. Sing for joy to God our strength, shout in triumph to the God of Jacob. Lift up a song, play the tambourine, the melodious lyre, and the harp. Blow the ram's horn on the day of our feasts, during the new moon and during the full moon. For this is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He set it up as a decree for Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard an unfamiliar language. I relieved his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from carrying the basket. You called out in distress and I rescued you. I answered you from the thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you. Israel, if you would only listen to me, there must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. If only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cower to him. Their doom would last forever. But he would feed Israel with the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. Psalm 82, verse 1. God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. Rise up, God. Judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and tell them. Suppose I bring the sword against a land, and the people of that land select a man from among them, appointing him as their watchman. And suppose he sees the sword coming against the land and blows his ram's horn to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the sound of the ram's horn but ignores the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, 
His death will be his own fault. Since he heard the sound of the ram's horn but ignored the warning, his death is his own fault. If he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. However, suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the ram's horn so that the people aren't warned and the sword comes and takes away their lives, then they have been taken away because of their iniquity, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. As for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his way, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person to turn away from his way and he doesn't turn from it, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, you have said this, our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we survive? Tell them, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? Now, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous person will not save him on the day of his transgression. Neither will the wickedness of the wicked person cause him to stumble on the day he turns from his wickedness. The righteous person won't be able to survive by his righteousness on the day he sins. When I tell the righteous person that he will surely live, but he trusts in his righteousness and acts unjustly, then none of his righteousness will be remembered and he will die because of the just injustice he has committed. So when I tell the wicked person you will surely die, but he repents of his sin and does what is just and right, he returns collateral, makes restitution for what he has stolen and walks in the statutes of life without committing injustice, he will certainly live. He will not die. None of the sins he committed will be held against him. He has done what is just and right. He will certainly live. But your people say the Lord's way isn't fair, even though it is their own way that isn't fair. When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, he will die for it. But if a wicked person turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live because of it. Yet you say the Lord's way isn't fair. I will judge each of you according to his ways, house of Israel. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and reported, The city has been taken. Now the hand of the Lord had been on me the evening before the fugitive arrived, and he opened my mouth before the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, those who live in the ruins of the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one person, yet he received possession of the land, but we are many. Surely the land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, This is what the Lord God says. You eat meat with blood in it. You look to your idols and you shed blood. Should you then receive possession of the land? You have relied on your swords. You have committed detestable acts and each of you has despiled his neighbor's wife. Should you then receive possession of the land? Tell them this. This is what the Lord God says. As surely as I live, those who are in the ruins will fall by the sword. Those in the open field I have given to animals to be devoured, and those in the strongholds and caves will die by plague. I will make the land a desolate waste, and its proud strength will come to an end. The mountains of Israel will become desolate with no one passing through. They will know that I am the Lord when I make the land a desolate waste because of all the detestable acts they have committed. As for you, son of man, your people are talking about you near the city walls and in the doorways of their houses. One person speaks to another, each saying to his brother, Come and hear what the message is that comes from the Lord. 
So my people come to you in crowds, sit in front of you and hear your words, but they don't obey them. Their mouths go on passionately, but their hearts pursue dishonest profit. Yes, to them you are like a singer of passionate songs who has a beautiful voice and plays skillfully on an instrument. They hear your words, but they don't obey them. Yet when all this comes true, and it definitely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all the good things with his teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard in mercy, even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And that's a, a better place to end I can't imagine. So, dear friends, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.